from Hong Kong, Chicago, and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 101. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello. And hello, Perry. Hello. Right. First of all, I just want to say thank you for Jason Lane for being our guest for show 100, our 100th show. Um, We did something uh, different for those people who have not actually listened to last week's show or watched last week's show, and that we made a show that was primarily made for YouTube. And when we were talking about doing this, we knew that there was the potential that this might be a little bit divisive, but it (laughs) uh, but surprisingly surprisingly it wasn't um, because we actually had more correspondence about that show than for many many shows and we only actually had one complaint one complaint oh you're well that's because Bob Adder didn't complain to you in person Ah, I see. I see. Okay, so we had, we had two complaints. We, ah, I see. That, that's. I mean, that's old school. Did he actually make? Did he make a special trip to come in and complain I, about it? Well, he comes in all the time anyway. But I think he just figured. Well, while I'm here, I'll just you know unload on episode 100. <laughs> I think he said something to the effect of um, that it's a perfect episode for people with incurable insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, but but he did say that he was he was gonna then go watch the episode on YouTube, and I and I suggested that was probably a better way to experience episode one hundred. Which yeah, know, definitely. I mean, he's a big lens nerd. He he'll 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 dig it once he gets into the video part. Yeah, it felt like it felt like being back in university and and sitting through a really interesting lecture. Yeah. Well. I'm just wondering if we, well, well, Bob, if you are listening, which I hope, hopefully you will continue to listen to the Classic Lenses podcast. <laughs> please, no, please. he's just going to spam us with my lord. <laughs> um, actually, there's, there's something we need to talk about that. Oh, yes. Yeah, but we'll, oh, we'll, yes, we'll, we'll come on to that. Um, but uh, yeah, my, I was, when I, when I got up the next day, um, I was thinking, okay, there's there's going to be there's going to be some feedback somewhere on the show, and uh, and I didn't read any feedback at all. And then a text message came through, and it just it just said that show sucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Um, I, I, I'll be I'll be more than happy to say who who sent me that. But seeing it was actually sent to me by a text message, I'm thinking, well, does, does that is that for what? public consumption or not? So why so do I'm, I think I know who sent that? Oh, well, maybe, maybe you do, but maybe you don't. So uh, I'm 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 gonna I'll, I'll keep that one to myself. But he may he may well. Oh, I've already narrowed it down to a man. But then again, that's that's not difficult with our our listenership though, is it? I suppose um but uh yeah so if he if he does want to make his his, his uh his comments publicly known feel feel free to uh to, to mention but i i think there's, there's got to be some there have to be more people than there just two people that uh, didn't enjoy the show um so to those people that um didn't really get it um yes it was a youtube show it was based on for youtube listening to it as an audio only podcast I mean, there were some people that actually still managed to enjoy that, but 
it's not the way that I would have wanted to. And and to be fair as well, the, I think there are some people that probably don't really want to sit in front of a, a computer or look at their phone for two hours and 20 minutes. Um, and so I, I do get it. And it's not something we, we are planning on doing uh, too often, although we are going to do it again quite soon uh, because Jason will be back for part two and we will be talking about um, some more specific uh, lenses so we'll carry on where we where we left off um, but then we will get into some um, into some more well, exactly call it modern stuff but some, some something stuff that's a bit more contemporary to what we what we actually talk about so um, really looking forward to getting Jason back on so thank you again Jason it was it was it was great having you um, and uh, thanks for those people that uh, put up with the show as well so um, yeah that's yeah. uh, well well done all of you I mean, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive, to be fair. And and it's cool to see just how many closet lens nerds there are out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, we, we kind of owed them, you know, we owed them. It was like, it was like the, with those lions they have at the Coliseum that are going to like, you know, they're going to turn them loose on people on the gladiators. And you got to throw them a bunch of meat every once in a while just to keep them happy. I mean, <laughs> so we, we threw a bunch of meat at you guys. That you mean, big lens, you big nerds. <laughs> we've done we've done enough technical talking now for, <laughs> to get to get away with some arty farty stuff now for, yeah, for a few exactly. episodes now, can't we? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're still munching on the meat. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, so um, again, uh, thank you for all your positive comments and for the negative comments. Yeah, we we do take on board the the, the negative side of things as well. So uh, um, we appreciate your your thoughts. So let's talk about what we've been up to uh, first, and then we're going to delve into some pretty meaty emails, actually. Uh, so uh, but let's head over to Hong Kong first and see what Perry's been up to. Oof. In the last uh, two weeks, I feel like I've been shooting nonstop. Um, now, I've, I've, been, I've been photographing a bunch of, uh, with a bunch of different cameras. Um, there have been a couple of well every weekend there are still protests happening here and there have been a couple of lunchtime things following on from the new year uh so i have been out shooting quite a bit with things like the new agfa record three that uh, arrived from certo six that thing is in mint condition it's insane uh so i went out and put a test roll through that to just just check that it worked properly um really cool camera it you know, it's one of those folders with an uncoupled rangefinder, and so it, it's not ideal for the kind of stuff that I normally shoot. But I, I actually downloaded the manual and read through just to figure out what one or one or two of the buttons did. Um, like the, the self timer is a very counterintuitive mechanism, and I didn't know what the button did. But there's a piece of advice in the manual that's actually really really helpful for shooting quicker with an uncoupled rangefinder, and it was basically guess the distance of your subject and set the lens and the rangefinder to the same distance and then just move yourself back and forth rather than, you know, focusing with the rangefinder and then setting the lens to the same distance and then trying to frame and do three steps. It reduces it down to two. So that I've never shot like that before. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of neat. Have you guys ever tried shooting like that? Uh, well, where you set the distance and then move it to the lens, you mean? No, no, no. So, it, it, you know, a, a lot of folders have uncoupled rangefinders. Yeah. 
And so there's an extra step, which makes it hard to shoot uh, on the fly. Yeah. Right? But the the manual recommends um, basically, for example, setting the lens to three meters. Yeah. And then setting the rangefinder to three meters. And then just moving yourself back and forth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, does does the lens on that one have the little markings like the priest, like the diamond and the like that? You know, some of them have markings. Like the best it has markings for like a close um, zone focus and a like a uh, you know a mid zone focus, like two hyperfocal stops. And then yeah, you basically you just you just kind of like move your body. I mean, I do that. I do that even with my thirty five millimeter rangefinder sometimes. Really? Yeah. Rather than just like frigging around with a rangefinder trying to get it perfect, I'll just, you know, move back and forth till it's about right. Like if I have it preset to like, you know, six feet, I can just move my body a little bit rather than move the focus. Oh, interesting. No, I, I've never tried that before because um, I wouldn't have thought of that unless w- without the manual telling me to do it. But it does reduce. Uh, one step when the rangefinder is uncoupled. Hold on, let, let me let me grab mine to see if it has these okay. markings you're talking about. One sec, it's right here. Well, uh, just while we're actually on this subject of of, of focusing, uh, we do actually have a um, a message that came through actually came through via Facebook rather than uh, via email, and it's on this subject. And I've just dropped it into the our little uh, podcast chat. Um, and I'm just thinking, once we've done this little bit, I think it might be an idea to actually just discuss this question that's that's come come through this way. Um, I don't know if you can see that, Johnny. Uh, so one just came through. Yeah, yeah. I just put it into our little into our. Oh, little you did. Chat. Oh, yeah. perfect. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, so, so I'm just. Thinking, hey, it's Vista. That's the one. And uh, so let's let's do this this bit that we're talking about now, and then segue okay. into into that question. I think this would be a good time to do it. I think. Right. Okay. So yeah. so just to finish that thought. Um, there are, no, it's just a distance scale, uh, okay. but the, the 10 meter and the three meter mark are in red. Ah, there you go. Yeah. That's, that's exactly, that's exactly what those are for. So it's, it's just like the, um, the Voigtlander version is they use a red diamond, like a red triangle uh-huh. and a, like a red zero at the two kind of preset distance marks, which are basically at the same distance you, you just mentioned, um, and they're for just basically snapshot mode. Wait, but um, how how am I so? How do you interpret that? Well, there's um actually on the back of the Bessa anyway. There's a little plate that has um, depth of field scales, but it also yeah. has it has um, the diamond and the zero that are sort of marked on that scale, and it tells you essentially what the you know the zone focus is the hyperfocal in those ranges. Yeah. So, so if Hmm. you, yeah. So if you basically preset and you're at like eight or 11 at one of those stops, it's pretty much a, the idea is it's pretty much a point and shoot. So on this one, huh, you just made me discover something about this camera. There's a wheel on the top that does nothing, but it's a, Hmm. it's a depth of field scale. Yeah. Um, Well, it's yeah, but it, it, it's not a range finder, right? No, no, no. The rangefinder, the rangefinder is set by a, a wheel on the very, very top. Okay, um, all right. And then on the top right, where uh, like the the film advance would be on a normal camera. Yeah. Um, it's it's the the clip that holds the film in place. 
Okay. Um, yeah. And, and there's so there's just a there's a distance scale in the middle, and then there's a wheel oh, yeah. around the outside that turns yep, with different uh, different apertures and then different like widths yeah. corresponding to those apertures. So I guess it tells you what hyperfocal focus distance would be for every. Yeah. Oh, okay. So if I'm at f8, then it shows me that pretty much at 10 meters, it's yep. it's a uh, hyperfocal for f8. There you go. I would take, I would, so this is a really interesting topic because I know that it came up in at least a couple of conversations after we talked about six by nine a couple weeks ago uh -huh. um, that I, my take on six by nine cameras is they are very difficult. Any of them, even with the range finders are very difficult to get precise focus. Yeah. Um, but assuming that those cameras were made in sort of like postcard format, my my thinking is they're really intended to be contact printed anyway. So your hyperfocal distances, if you contact print from those negatives, they're going to look totally in focus. If you're going to scan them and put them on the internet, they're going to probably look pretty darn out of focus. You know what I'm saying? Like they were, uh -huh. they weren't really made for the way we're probably going to primarily reproduce images out of them. Um, so they're they're probably going to. I mean, it, even even more so than. Like if you were enlarging them, it would be kind of the same issue. If you make the eight by tens, they're going to probably look a little bit out. You're going to see the out of focus more, and yes. and du doubly so with scanning them and putting them on the internet. But if you contact printed them, they're probably going to look perfect. So like actually, what I'm decided I'm going to do with my my six by nines when I shoot them is I'm going to contact print them, and then scan the contact prints and use those as my images because they're going to look way probably better you know gotcha i just think yeah it, i think it goes with the territory I, re, I i just think it's the nature of those like you know how when you said you took that shot of the um the man and the daughter on on the uh public transit that you were on and you were like damn i wish i had my you know i wish i had a tlr because you you're, you're right you yeah. could have like nailed the focus right yeah because that was with a six by six mamiya six yeah Right. And it's, there's only so much you can, I think there's only so much you can accomplish with a range finder shooting six by six or bigger because the depth of fields are so much shot. Like F11 yeah. on a six by six at, you know, two meters is like F2.8 on a 35 millimeter at two meters. It's just the, the depth of field is so much shallower on medium mm -hmm. format, right? So I, I think that's what they were kind of suggesting with those presets is, hey, just set it up, snapshot mode, take your picture. You're going to contact print it anyway. It's going to look fine. you know. And I, I have like family photo albums with so many images in that format that I know were shot on you know, cameras like that. And they look pretty damn good. And I'm sure if, they, if I saw the negatives, I'd be like, man, this stuff's autofocus. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I, you often forget that because you know you're so used to shooting 35 millimeter film that when right. i when i shot the picture of the the dad and his daughter on the tram yeah they were about a meter and a half away from me yeah um, just just sitting right across from me and like with the mamiya 6 i i couldn't crouch down and sort of look through the viewfinder right so right. i basically i focused on on the dad's hat yeah um and then i sort of brought the camera down and roughly guessed the framing yeah. Uh, and yeah, and then when I developed it, I was like, oh man, she is well out of focus. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he's well in focus. Yeah. And yeah. that was 
I had to open the aperture up a little bit because it was dark in the tram as well. So that must have right. been, I was shooting Tri-X at 800. It must have been at like F5.6 or F4. Yeah, which is, yeah, which is crazy shallow depth of field on a medium yeah. format, right? So like I have this I have this book, I'll have to go find it, but it's basically a book about shooting on the Roloflex. And uh-huh. it's got all these really just like awesome portraits of, you know, kids and all this stuff where the guy, you know, he's within... He's within two meters of the subject and it's got the notes for everything, you know, that went into making the picture, the film, the F-stop, et cetera. Huh. And these shots that look like you would think, oh, that's at like 2.8. They're like at F11. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, totally. so it's it's and I mean, I, I have so many Roloflex shots that I've shot over the years. And I'm I'm looking at them on the ground glass. I'm like, oh, yeah, this shot's gonna look so good. And then. I was shooting at maybe five, six or whatever. And then I look at them and the depth of field is so shallow. And I, to me, like on Roloflex, it's, it's really, it just like doesn't work doing shallow depth of field close up for the most part. It just looks off. And I have so many shots where I'm like, damn, I should have stopped down more so that everything was in focus. It would look so much better. So it's, it's really tricky. I mean, it, it it's just, and that's why people think, oh, it's only F4 on medium format. I'm like, Damn, that's like that's fast. I mean, format. I mean, it's not as fast light gathering, but the effect of, you know, depth of field and everything is, it's way, it's way different than you think it is if you're thinking in thirty five millimeter terms. Yeah, because f eight is is going to give you shallow depth of field. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I never shoot wide open with my, unless it's one of my more modern medium format cameras like Bronica RF six four five or something, um, or if it's something like a Pentax 6.7 where I really want to, you know, bokeh it out. Yeah. Yeah. Below F8 makes me nervous because this, this depth of yeah. field scale, those two red points that you, that you mentioned mm-hmm. at 10 meters, it wants me to be at F11 yeah. for hyperfocal. Yeah. And at, at F at three meters, it wants me to be at F32. <laughs> wow. And, and, <laughs> and, and then that actually makes sense. I have to say, and I think honestly, I think you have to pad that by at least a stop if you're mm-hmm. scanning it or enlarging it. You know what I mean? It's like that's ex- quote unquote acceptable focus, which is probably acceptable focus for contact printing. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's hey, when you say contact printing, um, uh-huh. that's not something I've I've ever actually done. Is it just where you put the you just put the negative on the paper and blast yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, you uh-huh. literally put the negative on the paper. So I've got like I. I have loads of, I used to collect them because they were so cheap, but I have all these old like antique uh, Kodak contact print frames where it's, you know, it's, it's, it's basically a piece of glass with a frame around it and a pressure plate. And you put the negative right against the paper and you put it under light in the enlarger and you expose it and you, you know, you make a print and it's because the film is right on the paper. The tonal scale is just, insane i mean it Hmm. as soon as you start enlarging it introduces all kinds of problems but if you contact print stuff it looks so like sharp and you know tonally rich and and all that so you know to me contact printing is like it's like the best thing and so the people who were shooting eight by ten cameras like i have all these uh also have these family portrait you know photos um, in albums and they're, you know, they're eight by tens, but they're a contact printed and they look incredible because that, you know, it's, it's right. It's contact printed from the, the, probably the glass plate. 
directly to the photo paper. Yeah, and they, yeah, they just look, look amazing. Look cool. Yeah. So okay, he, that, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even even those old photos that we see that are, you know, shot with the Petsville lenses and stuff from the, you know, 1870s or whatever. And we look at them and it's like, oh my God, that depth of field's amazing. They're so sharp. It's because we're looking at reproductions of either the directly off the glass or contact prints, you know? That's why they look so good. <laughs> Are those Hollywood portraits that were shot in eight by ten? That's why they look so good. They're so not you don't actually need an enlarger for the light source, right? Not, not really. Only the only reason you would is that you have control over uh, the amount of light because it's fixed. Because it's you know it's the enlarger, oh, yeah. right? So you control the amount of light, and you you have a timer to turn it on and off. But you, in theory, you could do it. You could just pull it out and expose it to room light briefly and then put it back in a dark bag and pretty much accomplish the same thing. It's just like, you know, that whole thing about reproducible. Mm-hmm. If you want it, if you want it to be the same every time you use an enlarger. And yeah. Right. Right. You same. just don't need to shove the negative into the enlarger. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm going to buy a bunch of uh, postcard size paper and try that with six. Dude, you got to do it and, and, yeah. and then scan them. And then we can see how different they look than the uh, like scanned negatives. I'm oh, going yeah, to okay. do the same thing. So we can, it'll be something we can, something we can look at this year at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Okay, cool. Cool. So yeah, just to, to wrap up that thought about the, uh, the Agva. Well, two things. Number one, have you ever bought from this Certo Six guy, uh, Jurgen? I, I forget his surname. I haven't, but man, that he is like the guy. Yeah, he's the guy, folders. right? Yeah, he's and he's the guy. The reputation is deserved. This I have a really really you know big soft spot for folders. This is you know the challenge with buying folders is finding ones that are not in crap condition. Yeah, because most of them are. This is gorgeous. Um, I mean, he's replaced the bellows with a red leather bellows uh the the entire thing looks pretty much new it's insane yeah yeah that's awesome yeah i've got a couple cameras i i've actually been meaning to send to him to have them kind of you know have them kind of rehabbed so that i know that they're just like spot on um Mm -hmm. so i you know on my goals list but yeah he, he he seems like he does great work and his website is really helpful also he talks about he's got like you know, recommended uh, cameras and some really good discussion on there. So, sweet. Uh, so, Simon, so... you're gonna con- you're gonna contact print your um, your Arrow Ektar stuff, right? So it'll look in focus. <laughs> well, that's a that's a that's a good good point. Um, I mean, I mean, I put I, I took some shots last week, and uh, and I've posted a couple of photos. I mean, actually, this is what I was going to talk about in, in in my section, but we may as well do it now. And um, and and one photo was of my father, and and one that I post, posted, I think yesterday, I think I put it up, was a uh, a landscape shot. And and this is quite relevant to what you've just been talking about, actually. But the uh, the the shot of my dad, it's it's just not quite in focus the, the focus is 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 behind uh, where i wanted it to be because um i i shot it using a speed graphic in my aero and just to 
recap that's 172 millimeter f 2.5 uh, 5.5 lens on a 4x5 camera that's inches not centimeters so large large format and i fine focused on my dad's eyes i asked him you know stay really really still and which he did and and i misfocused the focus was somewhere on the shoulder behind him because he was like side on and the other shots i took uh, as well including a test shot um, every single one of them was focused behind where i wanted the focus to be which led me to think well you know i might get focus wrong occasionally but i got it consistently wrong and consistently inconsistently the same place and it's it turns out and i've talked about this on the large format photography podcast as well but there's there's a bit more to say since since then um but what what i found um as I say, the, the focus was consistently wrong each time. And it turned out that the, and thanks to uh, my co-host Andrew Bartram and with a bit of help from Ansel Adams uh, on this, uh, because he was reading uh, Ansel's uh, book, the, the Camera. And it uh, states that the with the ground glass screen, the, um, the what's the word, the rough inside, the abrased side, I can't quite think of what the, you know, because you've got ground glass, the, the side that's being ground should mm-hmm. face the yeah. lens. The, the, dull, the, the dull side. The dull side, yeah. Well, yeah. The, the map side, whichever. Um, yeah. And that should face the, the lens, not the user. And and it's a case of, well, yeah, does it really matter that much? Well, yes, it absolutely does. <laughs> if you're shooting yeah. wide open, it does. <laughs> exactly. And this and this is the this is the thing now, when we've just been talking about uh f8 uh, with with medium format being you know borderline in terms of controlling your depth of field or uh, accuracy especially if you're zone focusing um large format it, it, it's even it's even more critical and then so if you actually shooting at f2.5 with a four by five inch negative then your depth of field i think we worked this out it was it's it's similar to the kind of depth of field as you get with like an 85 millimeter 1.2 on full frame it's mm. it's tiny and um so so yeah so i kept on missing it and it was because the the ground glass was the wrong way and the gra- thickness of the ground glass is something like about i don't know three millimeters four millimeters something something like that but yeah. just just that difference in position was enough to throw it out quite considerably um and I've I've swapped it round now, and I've I've taken some shots. I've not actually checked to see if uh, if that's resolved the problem. But I know that when I swapped it, I focused on something, uh, fine focused on on an object. Then I swapped the glass round, and the subject was not was no longer in focus. So wow. I know that yeah. I've done something, and uh, I I can't see how I could have made it worse. So, uh, um, but one of the shots that I took, I think it was it's a landscape shot. And uh, interestingly enough, I, I posted it in our podcast Facebook group, but I didn't post it in photography with classic lenses because I didn't want didn't want too many people to see what I've, I've messed up. Um, <laughs> that's that's the what do with photography with classic lenses being that that bigger group. Um, but the 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 shot I took, I actually stopped it down to f sixteen, which is as small as you can stop an aero hectare down. Now f sixteen, I mean there are plenty of lenses that only go down to f sixteen, but when you're talking about large format lenses, F F thirty two and even F sixty four are on many, many lenses. And certainly shooting at say F twenty two or something like that is 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 a is a normal thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. simply because of that that depth of field issue and the fact that you know you you're 
you, you you need to stop the lens down to get maximum sharpness and just the same way as like many lenses you, you, you might want to stop it down two or three stops to get maximum sharpness well the same applies with large format lenses so f16 is probably like an, an optimum kind of uh, place but this shot that i took with the uh, the ground glass still in the wrong place and the the object that I was taking a photograph a photograph of was probably about three meters away maybe more um, probably a bit more actually from from where I was standing so 12 feet or so and I took that at f16 so I stopped it down as much as I possibly could do and the bit that I was trying to focus on was just in focus, uh, but mainly because of the increased depth of field. But the actual point of focus was probably about two feet behind it. And so even even at f16, you know, with large format, you, you most of that photograph was actually out, still out of focus. So it's, it are you shows. are you focusing wide open and then stopping down? Yes. That lens might have some focus shift, too. Uh, possibly, but the, but the all the other shots I was taking were wide open. Yeah. So, so it was a case yeah. of it, it wasn't working at wide open, and so the chances are it was going to do better at f16, and it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is before you flip the ground glass. Yes, exactly, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so hopefully I'm going to be able to actually take some shots with that, although I've, I also want to try and use the rangefinder uh, with it, and I've been, yesterday I was trying to calibrate the rangefinder, and I, I wasn't really having much joy. I could calibrate it to a, to a particular distance, but I couldn't get it to yeah. calibrate through the whole range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those those rangefinders, on especially on press cameras, I mean, there's a reason they said F8 and B there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they're, yeah. they're 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 definitely not intended for, you know, small lenses. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. They're just not intended for for you know big aperture work. Well, yeah. Well, what I'm thinking of, and and this is how I've actually done it now. I've I've now set it for a distance which i think is going to be the normal distance for me to be taking photographs with if yeah. I'm, if i'm doing people that yeah. that's that's because it's it's people shots is where i want to use the rangefinder because it's right. just you know using the ground glass handheld and then swapping out and putting your film holder in and then taking the shot it it just isn't going to happen with a lens like that it's, it's just yeah. it's just folly um whereas if you've if you've already got the 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 film is loaded and I also got a, I've got a graphmatic back which you can get five sheets of film into it in one go nice um, so I can if I'm set up for the, the the correct distance for most most shots then I should be able to just look, look through the peephole of the rangefinder and just take the shot so that that's what I'm going to try and do and then that's yeah. the other part I just want to make sure I'm quite loosely framed uh, because you know I've got five by four inches of negative to play with yeah. So, you know, and that's, I, I do have to keep on telling myself this because I keep on filling the frame and you just don't need to do that with such an absolutely huge negative. So, so that's, that's, that's my plan. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, I think it's another case of look at the way they used to do it back in the day Be, because, you know, it's much easier with a larger format camera doing portraits to like, if they were doing those all in the studio, they had their distances preset and you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it, it, the, the more you can probably replicate the working styles of what used to work, the greater the degree of success. And I think that's really true with large format portrait stuff. Like the more of it you can control on a consistent basis, you know, every time you do it, the greater the chance of success. 
I think that that's a really good point as well about replicating what used to be done. And I think that's that's one of those areas where there's there's there can be a bit of conflict uh, between yeah. uh, the new generation or newer generation of photographers and the and the time served photographers. And I've I've finally got around to listening to the latest episode of the uh, hypersensitive photographers podcast with Hamish and M, and they they talk about that conflict at length on there. It's it's a, it's it's a long listen, but it's a good listen in parts. So um, do uh, if you if you're interested in hearing that chat, it's it's well worth um, it's well worth listening to that. But it, I think that's that is one of the things because you know you get the some of the the older photographers will jump onto uh, uh, a conversation that's happening on on social media somewhere where somebody's. Um, announcing that they found this this great way of doing something and they'll just pop in and say we've been doing that forever and yeah. and, <laughs> and, it, and it's 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 an interesting area in itself really because i mean these there are, there are people out there that have a, a huge amount of knowledge and there are people and i absolutely count myself in this as as finding our way in in photography and in, in film photography that would benefit from that that kind of knowledge and it's it's i think it's quite a difficult thing to actually get that information from the older generation in, into the new generation largely because the older generation are not as savvy with uh, modern technology in the way that uh, people communicate and when they do come across something that's uh, this 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 new wonderful way of working that uh, somebody's just found, they, they can be a little bit grumpy uh, about the fact that, well, no, you've not discovered anything. Uh, yeah. So I'm not sure what the answer is to that, but it's uh, you can sort of understand where where it's coming from at least. Yeah. <laughs> on a on a you, you briefly mentioned not posting it in uh, photography the classic lenses. By the way, um, that picture of the that I posted in our Facebook group of the girl with her dad. I accidentally posted it in photography with classic lenses, and then I realized <laughs> and I deleted it. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm gonna get a, She's out of focus. So I only, only put the good in stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like the shot, but it it is. I think with a group of you know tens of thousands of people, I I was like, uh, I don't I don't want. I know it's I know she's out of focus, and someone's gonna tell me within three minutes. That she's out of focus, so I'm going to delete it from this group. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, while while you were hunting for equipment and stuff, um, I dropped into the chat uh, that we've uh, we also had a, a message from uh, I'm going to say Vitzelveen, um, and I think this would be just a good time just to just to quickly touch upon this, but it's it's mm. it's, it's regarding what you've just well where where this conversation started at least anyway. So uh, Johnny, do you want to just uh, run that one? Uh, Past, basically past yourself and Perry because I, I really haven't really got that much to, to wait where do we start this conversation it's in the it's in our little in our little chat we chatted about it earlier and oh Visteven that's Vista the one Ven? yeah remember now Visteven Visteven is back well Visteven sent us a a message and he says maybe an interesting topic also colon uh what are what are the rule of thumb for you guys when you are zone focusing slash using a zone focus lens and making portrait with no viewfinder to check the focus? Some tips or something would be interesting. Uh, there are some lasers, et cetera, for, or some very old distance meters to add on to your camera. But what would you guys suggest? Well, we've kind of, yeah, we've been diving right into that. I, I mean, I, uh, what, what, I guess what we just said, 
take, you can take all that. Um, I think that the, the, some of those old, um, uh, add on distance meters are really helpful. I, I will say, I think they tend to drift out of calibration really easily, which is why all of them are really easy to recalibrate. Um, I mean, I've, I don't think I've ever seen one that smack on without a little bit of recalibration needed. Um, I actually, I like those things, but I, I don't know that they're the panacea because you're still measuring with, you're still measuring with the analog distance meter that you then have to translate to the camera. And there's a margin of error in all of that, that as we've, I think discussed needs to be overcome by the, um, the liberal use of depth of field. Yeah. (laughs) So I think, I think that's, I think that's what the story is. And I think this is why, as we've been saying, a lot of the way people used to do this is, is they would, they would contact print this stuff and they, they would take advantage of all the things that would make those images look good. Um, and, and nailing focus was really just not the way people thought about it. I don't think back in the day. Not yeah. not the way we talk about it, right? I mean, because you don't have you know double pressing a button to zoom in all the way. Yeah, you just um, you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you so you you make the best of the those tools, knowing that you're still gonna you're still gonna make the best of the final outcome in the way that you process those those images. I think is the way people did it. I just just realized I, I didn't quite finish off something that's relevant to this about that shot of my dad. And lots of people, when when I posted it, have you know really liked the shot, especially on Instagram. And of course, on on Instagram, that's being consumed on with a usually with a phone, maybe a tablet, but certainly mm-hmm. the image that people are looking at is much smaller than the negative size of the image. Oh yeah, and it yeah. looks great. It really does look great yeah. when it's actually that small. But when you actually put it to you know as we like to consume photos on, on a, on a computer, you can really see that it's out of focus, but yeah, on that smaller scale, it looks great. Right. So, yep. so 2020 will be the year of the contact print. <laughs> uh, but yeah, to, to, to Visa Vin's question, um, I think zone focus and shooting wide open, just don't do that. They don't go together. Yeah. And, we, and this is why like twin lens reflex cameras are so friggin' awesome. <laughs> <laughs> because you you kind of can nail the focus. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, but you, but then I mean, you're, then you just really have to think about depth of field in terms of what is going to make the most pleasing image. And again, you're still probably stopping down a lot, but you can't. You really can like nail your focus dead on with a twin lens because I mean, you're focusing, you know, up off the mirror, and the the viewing lens is perfectly aligned with the taking lens. So there's. Yeah. There's a lot of, that's why, I mean, I tend when people ask me, you know, what can't, what medium format, I want to get into medium format. What should I do? And I'm like, dude, get a TLR because they're not as expensive. And the, 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 um, enjoyment level is very high because of the way the results come out. So anyway. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it depends on the size. I mean, they tend to be six by six. So Mm -hmm. that's sort of the upper limit of even with a range finder, I feel like I can, I can get pretty accurate focus. Um, but, but I just don't want to shoot wide open with those lenses, but on a, if it's, if it's like a rolly flex or I don't know, an auto cord, but they look pretty good wide open even. Yeah. Um, they really do. 
yeah, then you have that ability to really fine tune your focus, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of uh, rollies, going to back to what I've been shooting with. Oh, I should mention, by the way, since this is a lens podcast, uh, the Agfa Record Three that I got has a uh, has the Solinar lens on it, uh, which is the the nicest one that I think yeah. they came with. Nice uh, versus the Apatar. I think it's just a Tessar, but it's a particularly nice Tessar. Yeah, nice. Um, so yeah, I, I also went shooting. I've been shooting a whole bunch of medium format. Um, so I also went out and and I shot a couple of rolls with my Rollicord VB because um, I hadn't shot that in a while, and they were just random shots around town and some crazy clouds that were floating around Hong Kong the other day. But shooting with a roller cord was interesting for a couple of reasons. It's been a while since I've done it, and when I got the film, when I got the film and the scans back from the lab, because I was shooting uh, Fuji Pro One Hundred and Sixty NS. You know, one of, one of the things that struck me is I looked at the pictures and thought, oh, man, these look these look too clean. They look almost digital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it, it wasn't really off putting, but I was sort of, I was sort of taken aback because I was like, oh, this doesn't have the kind of um, <laughs> sort of filmic look that I, that I normally like. And I, I didn't quite know uh, what to make of it, although I did end up as a result giving my buddy gas, uh, my buddy Anthony, and he went out and bought a, a Roly Flex. I think FX, um, the two point eight FX, the really new one. Oh, that that's right. He put the he posted the picture. Now my jaw dropped. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one. One of the shops had a uh, a new old stock. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and he 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 was complaining. No, because he used to have a contact six four five, and that was ah. like his main medium format thing. And then he got rid of all of his medium format film gear. And uh, I think I, I basically told him it was unacceptable for him not to. He was getting back into film, and I basically told him it was unacceptable for him not to have a medium format body. Um, so where he used to have a Hasselblad and a Contact six four five, he didn't want to repurchase something he used to have, but wanted something equally ridiculous. So yeah, yeah that's what he ended up with. Wow, wow. The rollies are nice though. You know, yeah, um, yeah. I, I still haven't tried that thing where you you hold it above your head. Oh yeah, I've I've look. done that. It works. It totally works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, you know, you see all these old pictures of uh, press at you know presidential inaugurations uh, where there's a large crowd um, or yeah. concerts and things, and 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 they're just holding it above, and you're like, of course, that's yeah. totally the way that you would shoot that kind of shot. So. But just just, just talking about those those shots. Though, I mean, when when I first saw them, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking they look really really good. And I'm not not in the way of wow, Perry's taking a good photo. That wasn't that wasn't the uh, the way. As in just the the look of them. And as you say, they 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 did have a, a digital look about them. And and I I mean, yeah, it, it put you in a little bit of a dilemma. It didn't put me in one. I was there thinking, these are as good as digital um, <laughs> as, as I, I was looking at it, which I shouldn't really say that kind of thing, should I suppose? But yeah, that that was pretty much the way I looked at them. I was thinking, yeah, if, if my digital shots look like this, I'll be very, very happy. Yeah. You know, the, the overall appearance of them. And uh, so <laughs> I don't really know where you go with that one, but it, it, it's, I thought they, they looked good for looking as clean as they did. Yeah. yeah, they were clean and sharp and 
only one of them has shallowish depth of field. Um, it's a, a food stall, but that that one, I mean, I wish the subject were looking at me. It's the kind of back of some woman's head as she orders food. But that has the, the medium format look to it, but yeah. the cl- but is almost digital level clean. Yeah. So yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, I shouldn't I shouldn't diss it because it looks digital, uh, because it, it does look really good. I was taken aback because I think the last time I shot with this camera, I was shooting black and white film and I shot everything wide open because I was an idiot. <laughs> and I was like, oh, everything is soft or out of slightly out of focus. Oh, this camera, maybe it's not for me, but this time I had more discipline and I think I shot everything at around f8, f5, between f5.6 and f11. Yeah. Which is a nice sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's, I mean, if it's hard to explain this to someone who has not seen medium format like film on a light on a light box but i mean i have i have some i have roloflex stuff that i i shot you know six by six slides on my rollies and they are they are unbelievable in terms of like pop and i mean they're just those lens that's why those cameras have such a reputation i mean the those lenses have so much i guess what now we would talk about like micro contrast and stuff Mm -hmm. they're they're just nuts yeah yeah and and they are, you know, uh, Fan Ho famously shot Hong Kong in the fifties with the Roloflex, and right, you know, it it, it there's such a joy to use because yeah, the the other camera I've been shooting a bunch with is the Mamiya Six, and I think of all the folders I have, it's the most user friendly because the rangefinder is coupled, um, it has an automatic film stop when you're advancing it, it's got double exposure prevention, but you still have to like cock the shutter before you shoot. Uh, right. and, and dick around with all the, the little quirks of a folder. Whereas a Rolleiflex or a Rollacord, it's just it's so intuitive and so easy to use. If you've never tried one, uh, you know, the lenses are typically made by Schneider or Zeiss. Um, yeah. They're all good, even the Tessar, which is, you know, what's on, on mine, the Xenar. But I, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, like, the first time <laughs> I used a TLR, I, I, no one had to explain to me how it worked. It was just, there's nothing on there that's confusing or unnecessary. You know, film loading, you just open the back and you can see there's like only three things that move. And then the focus is really intuitive. Yep. Uh, The magnification is really intuitive. The film advance is really intuitive. Yeah, that um, yeah, they're they're just such a joy. To use. I was going to say yeah. set, setting your aperture and your shutter speed can be a bit iffy though. That is the single most annoying thing. And for the rolly cord, uh, the shutter button is really irritating. So I have the add-on screw-in button. Oh, do you, uh, does it have the flip-flop? The right, what? The right left, where you you use right. the same. Yeah, the so that's, that's what the default is. So the right. the shutter cocking. And the shutter are the same right. thing, yeah. but then there's a there's a ca- there's a thread for a cable release. Yeah, that's smart. So so I have the accessory that's basically a button that right. threads into it, the it, yeah. cable. Those release. are those are really slick. That's really. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is that that's why the roller. I mean, the roller cords are nice, but the flexes are just unbelievable users because. Oh yeah. You look down into the onto the ground glass and you look just forward of the ground glass and you see your both your aperture and your shutter in the little window so by mm. looking down you see absolutely i mean the simplicity of it is just it's like it could not be easier and you have your hand on either side to control the 
aperture and shutter. And it, they're just, I, I mean, I know people come in who have never shot medium format to in the shop all the time. And they're like, Oh, could I see that RB six, seven? I'm like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, why do you want to do this to yourself? If you've never even shot, first of all, if you've never really shot film before, it is like the last camera I would suggest you get Yeah, <laughs> from right off the start. But, you know, internet hype, right? You got to have an RB67. It's just, it, it, to me, they're just, the, the, there's a whole level of, it's like basically shooting a little large format camera, which is fine. But as a starting point to me, that is mm -hmm. really a lot to ask. <laughs> yeah, because TLRs are so much more compact and light. Right. So that's why I'm always like, people want the big, sexy RB67. I'm like, yeah. dude, just get a TLR and be done with it. By you know, get a Yashica D, and for for three hundred and fifty dollars, which is now a lot of money for those things, but they're worth it. <laughs> so, anyway, I think the thing that people don't uh, appreciate as as much as they should about TLRs too is because they're just a box shape. Mm -hmm. even though they look chunky uh a they're light but b yeah. they fit really easily into a camera bag they they do yeah, yeah they really be because do. they slide in vertically and so they're actually way more portable um, yeah. than their size su should suggest hey yeah. question about the roloflexes by the way do, do you think the 2.8 lens is worth it okay here's what i would say <laughs> as someone who owns a couple of really nice Roly 2.8s. Um, if, if I was doing it from scratch at this point, I would probably get a 3.5 camera only because at this point there are a lot less money and you're probably going to shoot it stop down anyway. And to my eyes, I, I, I don't know. I think probably the, the best role he ever made was probably like a 3.5 F in terms of image quality. You know what I mean? It, they're just, it's, it's like, you know, you stretch a lens design, right? Mm -hmm. To, to 2.8. And it's almost like a, it's, you know what it, it reminds me of? It's like looking at 1.8 lenses or F2 lenses compared to 1.4s. I mean, my my way of thinking at this point is that like f two on thirty five millimeter, fifty fifty millimeter, thirty five millimeter camera is like the perfect lens design because uh -huh. it, it because they're so the, the lenses are so good and you 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 take that thing to f one point four and you're really starting to stretch a little bit right it's like a Tessar at two point eight they're great at three five you stretch them to two point eight and you're you're really kind of pushing it and I think it's I think that's true of medium format lenses, which are, you know, 75 to 80 millimeters, right? I think at 3.5 is like the sweet spot. I mean, get it by all means, if you can get a great 2.8, you'll, you'll love it. But I think the three, a 3.5 is, it's probably about as good as it ever got. Um, so I, I, I think like a 3.5 F Roly is probably like the best camera they ever built. So, so. I, yeah, I, I have read that the the planar design for the two point eight. Um, some people think that they stretch the design quite a bit. Yeah, uh, but but we are talking a Tessar versus a planar design. So well, but um, but but they did the the three point five f. There they have the planar and the Zenitar in three point five and in two. Oh, of course. Yeah. So like that's so, why I say the three point five f is a is a planar or a Zenitar. 
at 3.5 so versus yeah the the 3.5 planar xenatar will outperform the xenar slash tessar oh i would say yes although i would say it's very hard to tell any of them apart i would i would the 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 xenatars and the the Tessars perform really, really, really well uh-huh. on the, the Roly. So I'm, I'm honestly, I don't think you can go bad with any of them, really. Um, but I think, yeah, if you can get a hold of it at a good price, a 3.5 E or an F, with either the Planar or the Zenitar, you, there's no way you're going to be disappointed. So let, let, let me put the question another way. Um, I, I don't use TLRs that often. And I, when I got this Roly cord a, a couple of years ago, it was like 200 US dollars for the body in pretty much mint condition with the cap, with yeah. the wide angle lens adapter and yellow filter and hood. Um, so like a full kit. Yeah. So hypothetically, I'm very happy with this TLR and I've got a couple of other cheap ones that are not as good. I, hypothetically, if some douchebag in Chicago is just giving me gas for a Roloflex, <laughs> uh, should I get the 2.8? <laughs> I I uh I I don't think it's necessary given that we, I already have a roller cord 3.5 Zenar. Right. Yeah, because keep in mind you're what you're just, paying. Just say just say yes, Johnny. That's that's all he wants you to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? If it was somebody else and not my good friend Perry who I was trying, you know, not trying to give massive gas to, I would probably say yes. But but I I I think <laughs> I the price premium is so big at this point. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. And 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 in terms of like usability and low light, that you're not gaining all that much with the extra stop. To be quite honest, in terms of performance, you know. So I, because you're just not going to shoot at two point eight wide open very mm-hmm. much. You just aren't. Um, but so it's, it's but it's that bright screen though, isn't it? That, it's that not is that really much the, brighter. It's, yeah, it's it, 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 no, there is a difference. I mean, I've 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 got a, a, a Roly cord and I've used a Roly Flex, and the Roly Flex okay. just, just jumps out. As, as that is, all right, yes, sparkly. that is true. The, the screen the screen brightness on the Flex is way up over the top versus a cord. There you go, Perry. I will, That's your reason. I, I'm going to give you a cheat though. I'm going to give you a cheat. You uh-huh. ready? Okay. So they make, you know, those flexible magnifier pages that old people use to read the newspaper, mm-hmm. like people like me who are old and their eyes suck, um, get one of those sheets and cut down a little square piece to go over your, 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 uh, your ground glass. It's a, it's a Fresnel lens, right? And Roly even made a thing called a Roly grid which was just literally a little Fresnel lens that you would lay over the screen and it makes the screen so much brighter. And so you get one of those magnifier sheets and you just cut from in the middle, just cut out a little two by two square or sorry, six by six square. Um, and it will, it will, um, your brightness on your screen will suddenly be amazingly better <laughs> and, and you will have done nothing except spend a dollar on a little magnifier sheet. Yeah, but could you imagine what that would do then to a 2.8? Uh, yes, I can, because I've done it myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, well there, there you go. Well, I, what is this thing you're talking... I have no idea what this old people thing you're talking about. you're not old, Perry. It's... <laughs> I I don't know. I think they're just called like magnify. Look, Google like magnifier sheet. 
or something like that. And I'm sure that you'll in fairly short order it'll it'll turn up. Oh, and what's the? Yeah, yeah, so no, I see it. It's 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 just a. I didn't know this kind of thing existed. What the hell is this? Yeah, you you lay it over like your newspaper page because old people still read newspapers, and it it like magnifies the whole page just enough that it's easier to read, right? Oh. Oh, I found one. It's it's a compact Bible magnifier. That's there you blessed, go. <laughs> blessed are the eyes that see on the top. <laughs> no way. Oh man, yes. I want one of those. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Blessed are the eyes that see your Roloflex screen, uh, your Rollercord screen. So yeah, get one of those and cut it to cut it to size and drop it right in your screen, and then you're in business. You've just you've just cheaply put a much brighter screen into your twin lens reflex camera okay i, I think you guys have just cured my gas i'm i think i'm, I'm happy <laughs> no, with my I mean, roller cord <laughs> i mean i never had an issue with the brightness of the screen it's perfectly fine yeah but i mean you, you you're with a roller cord versus a roller flex right you're paying more for the user interface upgrades mm. you're, you and know what i mean lens. you're not you're not double you're not you, you know the, it's auto advancing and stopping at the next frame and all that you're paying for that more so than the lens because the lenses even on the cords are mm. really good well, the roller cord that I have stops at the next frame as well. Okay. Well, yeah, there, yeah, because you got a, you got a five. It's literally just the shutter button that would be different, and maybe right. a nicer dial for the aperture and, and shutter yeah. speed. But I mean, yeah, you, okay. but image wise, they're 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 awesome. They're awesome. So sweet. Yeah. Okay. All we right. just saved the world, guys. Yes, save no, people a lot of money. Forget that thing I just said. You have to buy a two point eight f. It's the only way, Perry. You got to have one. <laughs> Forget the Bible magnifier. <laughs> they they are they are super nice. But if you do, <laughs> just just call one eight hundred Christian, and uh, <laughs> and uh, every, everything Christian for less um, is where you can get your uh, magnifier from. Uh, that's the you know what I'm you know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go. Uh, so not far from where I uh, work is the Moody Bible Institute bookstore, and I, so if you have never heard of the Moody Bible Institute. I mean, bless their souls. They are they are lovely, wonderful. They were the nicest people you'll ever meet. But you go into hell. <laughs> and so they have a bookstore full of apocalyptic, awesome stuff. Um, and I'm gonna, but I'm gonna stop. I bet they have these Bible magnifiers in there. I'm gonna go get a shitload of them. <laughs> and we're gonna and we're gonna we're gonna put a sticker on them that says "Classic Lenses Podcast," and we're gonna sell them for eight dollars on the website. <laughs> oh man okay <laughs> what what led us to this it was you started it perry it your, oh. your week yeah right you started it, roll a cord what gotcha. were we gonna talk about this week yeah. gotcha well, yeah so so yeah go ahead simon no i was i was just i was just wondering if we should start to wrap wrap this section up and, uh... <laughs> yeah I, I think i think so i mean i've been shooting my x-pen i've been shooting my contacts t but that's that's you know not too different from the usual it's just the medium format stuff that has been um a little bit different uh, but i i think it's possible for me to shoot street with a mamiya 6 so that's found a place in my my bag these days Excellent, excellent. Well, <laughs> I've 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 pretty much done what I've been up to. So let let's head over to Chicago and uh, find out yeah. what Johnny's been doing. Oh, be- before we go to Johnny, can I ask both of you a question? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have either of you used a either a Konica Pearl three or a Fujica a Super Fujica six? No. Okay. 
Uh, no, although I will say... Uh, hold on a second. Start chat amongst yourselves for one second. I'm gonna, think, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get something to to talk I've, about. Yeah, I've got a feeling. I'm not sure if it's the if it's the exact one, but Carl had a had a pearl and which he which he dropped uh, along with many of his cameras, and I I think that ended up with uh, Anthony Rue, but I'm not sure if that's the same one as the one you're talking about. Was it is it a six four five? Uh, it's six four five. Yes, it's extremely compact. The one, two, and three uh, were evolutions of each other. Um, they all had a, a Hexar, basically a Tessar lens, and then the yeah. version four is a complete redesign. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I have in front of me right here in my hands a Konica Pearl two mm. with a, with a seventy five millimeter three point five Hexar, and this came to me from none other than Carl Havens. Who, ah, uh, famous. You, yep. Did you, I don't know if you heard me talking there. I thought it ended up with Anthony Rue. So there. It, no. It, it, ah, so, the, so there you go. this is the this is the camera that um, uh, Carl famously had a beautiful one and then dropped it and totally destroyed the the focusing, and then he felt so bad that he really had to have another one. So he ordered this one uh, from Japan. And used it like twice and decided he really didn't like this format very much anyway. So um, so he's like, dude, I'm not going to use this. I'm just going to send it to you. So he sent it to me. And it it has uh, its rangefinder focusing. It's got a little scale on the top of the camera that has like a distance scale. It works. I, I mean, I have to use it more. It's one of those cameras I'm meaning to use all the time. It works and it's tiny and you can carry it anywhere. Um is and it it's coupled? A, it's coupled. Okay, because the version one is not coupled, and two and three, yeah. I think, are coupled. Oh, this yeah. this is a coupled rangefinder six forty five camera, and it's a this dog is this dog can hunt. Yeah, it's a, it's, <laughs> it's a sweet little camera, um, which I've got. A, I just pulled this out, and I've now I have to throw this in my bag and use it this week. I really want one. Uh, they are a two nice. or a three. They're, they're so small. Yeah, they're they're they fold up to nothing. I mean, they're they're really nice little cameras. <laughs> now they they have the same problem that all these cameras, except for like the really high end ones, have, which is you got to remember to advance the film so you don't double expose everything and right. blah blah blah. So they 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 take more conscientious thought than you know your. 35 millimeter point and shoot, but they're, they're very nice cameras. They really are. It's you they are very, very gas worthy for sure. Okay, cool. That's, that's my number one gas item right now. And just <laughs> confirmed that that's a worthy pursuit. So thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. You are welcome. You. Uh, <laughs> so what's happening in Chicago then, Johnny? Oh, I got to take a pee. That's what's going on. Can we just put a pause there and we'll pick it back up? I mean, <laughs> we've been on this now for an hour, so I got to like, I got to take a leak. Yeah. We and I didn't bring my bruning bottle. I don't have my bruning torpedo. Actually, on, on the on the subjects of uh, John Bruning, uh, he's now released his, has yeah. it been released? I think it's been released as his new novel, uh, Race of Yeah. Races. Yeah. And I'm number one in uh, aviation and nautical biographies. That's that's nuts, isn't it? That's yeah. so cool. Good for him. 
All right, I'll be right back. I was going to say that that was me covering for you while you went. By the way, Johnny, <laughs> <laughs> staying in. <laughs> uh, well, my my week has been. I mean, what else? What can I say? I I've been uh, totally taken over by the uh, the Tokarev FT2 panorama camera. I have I have found my dream panorama camera. I don't know what else to say. It's I mean, it's exactly the thing that I've wanted for ages it's far out exceeded my my hopes and dreams for what this camera would do um uh so i i suppose i back up a little bit i i know i I obviously talked about this camera because this is the camera that santa brought me um but i've actually had a chance to shoot it now um and i've had a chance to run a couple of test rolls with and and gotten good exposures off of my first test roll was a little you know it was a test roll i was mainly trying to figure out light leaks of which i had many uh so i saw the light leaks shot a couple rolls when there was a little bit of sun to be had um and the results were i mean i it was exactly what i was hoping for um so so yeah this this camera is it it's you know, I've talked in the past about the Kodak panorams, which are the the large large format swing lens cameras, and um, I've always wanted one of those, and famously missed out on a couple of them at an estate sale. But this camera is it's it, conceptually it's exactly the same, but it's way way smaller. Um, it's it's a very small compact camera, and makes a ridiculously large uh, twenty four by 110 millimeter negative so it's um it's exactly the the camera that i i i should have it's like the perfect panoramic camera for me i'm i'm pretty convinced at this point um uh i don't know what else to say i'm just gonna gush about it if you guys don't like cut me off or ask me something i'm just gonna gush go for it just gonna overflow i'm just gonna overflow in love for the tokarev I'm, I, I'm just i'm losing it guys i think reel me oh, in oh, i do have a question i have a question about it yeah um because you posted a bunch of pictures yeah and rob jameson was uh messaging me frantically after you did this <laughs> with him and yeah. one of those pictures is uh, like a double exposure with his head in the middle right and he said for that shot you held the close-up filter from a roly uh up to the lens to get his face. What? what yeah. How? How? And <laughs> so uh, that okay. So th- so this camera, um, it has a stated hyperfocal range of uh, basically ten meters to infinity. So the idea is, you know, it's a fixed focus, and everything from ten meters to infinity is going to be really pretty darn sharp which I can say is definitely true, except what I would say is that um, things closer than that are still pleasingly out of focus, right? So mm-hmm. even things that are two meters away are are still, they're out of focus, but they're that sort of uh, pleasingly film out of focus look, right? Um, so it is in no way a camera that you can't use to shoot things closer than 30, 30 feet or 10 meters or whatever, because I have, I have like, you know, people in, in the shots that are, you know, four meters or three meters away, even that to me look, look more than acceptably sharp or 
the fact that they're out of focus, it's not like a bad thing. Right. Um, but I, I, you know, I wanted to experiment with being able to focus on a, something that's let's say, say three meters away and have it be the sharp center of attention with the background more out of focus. So I, I, I thought, um, well, I mean, that's what, that's what close-up filters are for. So I, I grabbed a, uh, series six portrait filter out of the bin at the shop when, when Robbie was there, I'm like, dude, let's run outside really quick. I want to do this experiment. And I just kind of taped the close-up filter over the, you know, center area where the, where the lens swings, uh, just with some gaff tape. And Robbie stood about two meters away from me dead center. Cause it was easiest to just keep it centered at this point without figuring out angles and all that. Um, and I, and I, I took the shot, which I happened to double expose because I forgot to wind it on from the previous shot. So it's a double exposure and Robbie's in the middle and it's not perfectly sharp, but it's, you know, it looks more than reasonably sharp. So it, so it, it was kind of a proof of concept shot to see if it would work, but it, it definitely did. And the fact that it was like this accidental double, double exposure made it this more interesting than it would have been shot to begin with. Um, and Robbie lost his friggin' mind. I mean, he was like, oh, I, wait, what did you do? I can't believe you did that. And he was like gushing about it for like two days. And I mean, in the best way, I love, it was so much fun doing this with, with Robbie. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, it, all I did really is, is what those filters are meant to do, which is you take a camera and you put the filter over and it, it just brings the focus range for a, a lens that would normally not focus, you know, closer than let's say, uh, three feet, like a rangefinder, right? It, it brings it closer. Um, but I was just, I was just spitballing it. I just want to see if it would work. Uh, but it, 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 I would say it worked reasonably well to a point where I would definitely, uh, put a little bit more thought into, uh, doing this more on an ongoing basis that I would want to do shots like that again. But, but uh, the lens swings, right? Yeah. So were you moving with it? No, I just held the camera stationary. The the close up lens was like taped in front of the center part of the lens swing. Oh, so, okay. You attached it to the lens. You, well, I attached it to the front of the camera. There's no way to attach anything to the lens because it's in a turret. And uh-huh. the lens, you know, the lens swings and it disappears back kind of Right, right, right. Right. So so I taped it in front of the where the lens swings which happens to be the point in the center of the camera where the lens would be closest to the filter. Oh, so only part of the frame is close up. Right, exactly. Only There's only a kind of a band. Gotcha. So the lens is swinging through to a place where there's a point in the middle where the focus is going to be closer, right? Uh-huh. But because the filter is held so close to the so close to the lens you don't see the edges really of where the filter is you just you know so you don't you don't see anything except it's kind of seamless you don't really unless i told you you wouldn't know in other words right Uh uh-huh um because it's just it's just magnifying that a bit in the middle um but i mean it worked i was really i was very pleased that it actually did something so i'll do it again and try to refine the the whole the whole idea i guess oh that's cool it was really really cool technique and just just something i just just thought oh about. thanks guys um 
panorama cameras. That's so 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's totally last year, isn't it? <laughs> so, 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 what, so, what have you done that's relevant, then, uh, Johnny? <laughs> well, that was that was most of my most of my relevant work that I did was uh, screwing around with this camera and proving that it works. And then, of course, it has been January gray is the I guess name of the color uh, the, for the past I don't know how many days. Like I snuck in enough shots to get a couple rolls done on the on this camera, and that's it. It's just been gray garbage skies which is so uninspiring photographically for me so i've just been like going crazy wanting to shoot more and i there's just nothing to do so that's that's been most of my week has been uh those test shots that i did and uh you know planning on 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 uh next next photographic steps and but you were busy last night as well though weren't you what did I do last well, night? Well, actually, no, it was in the daytime for you, but uh, but it wasn't in the UK when you were on the on a Skype call. So. Oh, that's right! I forgot all about that already. Oh, uh, yeah, I was. I did uh, backing paper uh, with Graham, uh, uh, Sunny Sixteen backing paper, and we we read a hundred percent more emails than have been read on today's Classic Lenses podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've done one. We've done one so far. Oh yeah, we did. That's true. We did one. We did one. That's true. Um, No, yeah. So I was on backing paper and we read a bunch of emails and that was a lot of fun. So yeah. So I guess head on over. And if you want to hear, hear uh, American babble on sunny 16, then you can hear that on this week's backing paper. Excellent. Look look forward to to hearing that. And so on the subject of emails, we've, we've got loads um, we do. I'm not entirely sure we're going to get through all of them. So, uh, but there's some really, really good emails here. So let's uh, let's let's make a start and make see if we go. can uh, see what we can do. Okay. Um, okay. Number one is from Brad Keen, and Brad Keen says, "Hi, have you discussed the top core five centimeter f three point five LTM lens?" in any of your podcasts any thoughts on the lens there isn't much information on the internet on it thanks brad over to you perry oh it's funny it's funny you should uh, <laughs> mention that lens brad because i'm holding it in front of me right now um so, so you know there's a there's a japanese website called topcon club mm. um whose website seems to be down or gone at the moment which is a real shame uh, because they had lens diagrams and a little bit of history on pretty much all of their, uh, all of Topcore's LTM lenses uh, with translations in English. But the 3.5, it's a Tessar, well, it's an Elmar copy. So the aperture is just behind the front element. Um, and, and basically, I mean, this lens is really nice. There's three different versions of it. Uh, there's a rigid version, uh, which is the one that I have, and it basically has... A, an aluminium body, body but it, it, they use an unnecessary amount of aluminium so it feels <laughs> like it, it's it's got a heft to it that is un, it's just weird because it feels like it's made of you know with a Jupiter 3 or something how it's made of kind of cheap aluminium yeah or aluminum as you'd say in America right. um, this has that kind of finish to it but it feels more robust it feels like a block of the stuff whereas um there's also a collapsible version which is pretty much 
a copy of the lights Elmar uh, style design. And then there's another collapsible one where I don't know if they tweaked the optical formula. I, I, I have a suspicion they did because that third one is more expensive. Um, but basically the front chunk is not a thin disc like the Elmar, but it's much, much, much thicker uh, with a proper aperture ring, basically. Um, yeah, but like a renders like an Elmar. I think it's got that sort of top core magic to it. It's really nice. It's got... A, it's got I don't know what kind of glass top core used in their LTM lenses, but they all have a similar richness of color um, and a pop in their contrast. This lens definitely does that. It's it's the nicest Elmar slash Tessar Design 53.5 that I've used. I just think his handling is not not that great. Yeah, so that's the uh, top. Oh, Anthony Vru just got this lens, but I think he got the Simlar variation. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, he did. That's right. Yeah, which is slightly different. Um I'm not exactly sure of the history, but Topcorn and Simlar are either the same company or very, very closely uh, linked. But I, I think the Simlar version has a slight tweak to the optical formula as well or a different kind of glass. Yeah. Um, but if you're thinking about getting this lens, uh, I think you should get it. If you like collapsible lenses, then you know both are, are solid choices. It just depends on whether or not the aperture ring bothers you. Um, but the aluminum one is fine too. It's... Uh, it's not collapsible, so less compact, but it's extraordinarily light. Yeah. So, good lens. Okay, there you have it. Um, moving on. Next, we have Ben Townsend. Uh, and Ben wrote on New Year's Eve, he wrote us, on the 31st of December. Uh, and he says, Perry, no, he says, Johnny, Perry, and Simon wanted to express how much I enjoyed Perry's Hong Kong audio diary episode. The week before I had just started to read about protests, watch the live feeds and the diary was an unexpected surprise. I was completely transfixed. I just sat down and did nothing but listen for the, for the entirety. Uh, it was so immersive for me because it was a first person perspective into something that I don't, uh, have much context to understand. It was important to me that it was uh, unfiltered, slow, and from the source that I felt is trustworthy. So thank you, and I hope the three, I hope you three continue to experiment with the format. Don't listen to the guys who want nothing but discussions of rangefinder patches and obscure lenses. Now, uh, on to my second thought about the obscure lenses. Simon, I've noticed <laughs> that you often describe your Vivitar 90 millimeter f 2.8 series one macro lens with high praise uh but you do seem to feel you can't use it properly because you want to use it on a good canon fd mount film body rather than just a digital body i use mine on both and for me it's probably better suited to digital it's extreme uh, it is extremely sharp uh, may even be somewhat limited by the resolution of 35 millimeter film but a digital sensor can capitalize on that sharpness it's also fair. It's it also flares horribly. At least the Vivitar version does. I hear that the Takina version is better in that respect. On digital with live view, you can stay on top of the flare by shading it when you need to. Um, and there's and there's an easy lens shade by hand because it's a short telephoto. On film, I find that it gets a lot of veiling flare uh, that I don't even know I'm producing, and I don't think to shade it because I don't know that it's happening. Also, to use that ridiculous center sharpness of f2.5, the subject has to be perfectly in focus. My hit rate with an A1 isn't so great for getting cr critical focus, but 
in digital, I'm more comfortable working in the 2.5 range. Anyway, I've always specifically interested to hear whenever you drop tidbits about your thoughts on the 92.5 and would love to hear more. One more thing. It's actually about a double gauss design. There can't be too many 90 millimeter double gauss uh, lenses out there. Regards, and thanks for making my commute so much more entertaining, Ben Townsend. Hmm. Oh, um, thank you, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. uh, yeah for the yeah. first part, I think yeah. for the second part, we need to hand that over to uh, to Simon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was Simon is that currently was on mute. Simon. Simon's muted. Oh. He's talking. <laughs> here. Ah, ah. Would you like me to speak now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the first part of the email, all I have to say is thank you very much. That's very kind, Ben. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Ben, I think it has, has been, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word stalking, but there's, we do actually have a Flickr group, um, which is cool photography with classic and then brackets, manual focus lenses, which. I go to very infrequently, um, I've got to say, and I guess we've sort of kind of forgotten it. Um, but in that group, uh, Ben had asked me back in, what was it, four months ago, I think it was, something like that, about a very similar kind of questions and a, and a few observations of, of, about that lens. And I said, oh, you've given me just a, just a nudge, I need to go out and use it. And then I promptly didn't. Um, so and nothing, nothing really has changed on that. Um, as far as wanting needing to use it on uh on canon film that's that's not not quite the case i just want to give it a go i just feel like i, I should do i've got all these macro lenses they're all for whatever reason they're all fd and i, I think i think i should do something with that um although I, i've got to say shooting macro on film i'm not too sure if that's really the best way to do things um but I think I, I totally agree um, as far as putting them on, using it on digital, there's, there's no reason why I wouldn't want to use it on digital. I think that's probably the, the better way to use that lens um, because it, it's, a, it's a great lens and I've only actually, I've taken very, very few photographs with it, but it's one of those lenses that every time I put it onto my camera, it makes me smile. Um, there's just something about that lens that, that gives a great look and it's and i'm talking about the bokeh here let's 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 face it um but it, it does does something really well and uh, it's interesting about that point about it's being a double gauss lens so it's a, a planar uh, style lens and i'm struggling to think of any other 90 millimeter ones i mean there are the 85 there's the 85 1.4 of course uh, by by zeiss uh, but 90 mils we can't think of any. I mean, there's 100 mil planar as well, or macro planar, uh, but yeah, there can't be too many nights. I'm not entirely sure why why that might be the case, but um, unless, of course, there are actually plenty out there and we're just not realising it, because I don't actually know what the formulation is of the, the, the Tamron or the the Comine or Comine. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are, uh, obviously there's the 85 planar, um, which isn't quite a 90. Uh, Zeiss, there's a Zeiss 90 millimeter planar um, projection lens, right? Mm, don't know. Maybe. Could be. I, I, I swear I've seen one somewhere, but yeah. But but ultimately, uh, it's it's a lens I do actually want to use um, this time of the year. Perhaps perhaps less so. Um, but I've I've really got out of the habit of doing photo walks for the sake of just picking the camera up and going for a walk and then just just looking for where interesting 
um, subjects where the light just catches a, a subject in an interesting way and then getting the detail shot. I used to do that all the time. And I've, I've moved away from that in, in, along with lots of other kinds of photography. I've moved away because it's, I think like many people, photography is something of a journey. But uh, mm. there's, there's, no, there's no real reason why I, why I won't go back to doing that kind of stuff. It's not as if I'm, I don't want to take those photographs or I don't feel those kind of photographs don't have value. Um, I just, just, it seemed to be into another type of photography, but I used to really enjoy doing those, those kind of walk rounds and just, just picking out details and I, you know, it might well be that I go out and start to do that again, especially when the spring, when spring kicks back in again and, uh, there's, there's, there's some more, more details and leaves about and, uh, dappled light and stuff like that. Mm. That's a, that's a really interesting point in and of itself, Simon. Um, because I do think that the the sort of subject matter that you're into or even the way that you're into shooting at any given point, um, it's as much about the photographer and sort of your, your mindset uh, as it is about the subjects and the cameras that you feel like shooting at any given point. Yeah, definitely. And it's it also coincides with... Actually, I think partially coincided with when I went full frame. Was so I was I was shooting more of that type of photography when I had my Olympus, um, and it and this is one of the odd things. And we I've talked about it before uh, that I was with the Olympus. You got a two times crop, yet I was still using the hundred millimeter lenses. Sorry, fifty millimeter lenses and one three fives and stuff like that with a two times crop. And then I went to full frame, and I'm still using fifty millimeter lenses. Uh, to do similar kind of things, even you know, without the crop. But for some reason, I never really continued my shooting with with eighty to 100, 100 millimeter lenses. It just they just sort of fell out of favour completely, and I and they, they're still not really back in there. And I guess that's 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 part of it. I think I'm up to seventy five millimeter and then wider. That that just seems to be where I'm at. Or if I'm doing landscapes, and I, I I seem to drop onto one three five as a as a favourite. Mm. Okay. So all right. So, <clears throat> moving along. All right, moving along. Uh next up we have let's see where are we at here? We did Ben. Oh, we are at Pierre. Oh man, come on. Somebody help me with this name. Pierre I, I, Alex P or Ali? Yeah, you, come on, you're Canadian. You should be able to do a little French name stuff here, Perry. I don't know how to pronounce his the the second part of his name. It's A L I X, but then the surname would be Favillier. Oh, that was good, Perry. I'm gonna go with that, Perry, hey, Simon. We're gonna go with that, right? Yeah, that I'll... sounded really good, Perry. Perry, why don't you do the whole name for us one more time? That sounded really good. Uh, Pierre Alex Favillier. Yep. Okay. So what he said. What Perry said. Dear just, Simon, just, oh wait, wait, I've just just got to say, if you if you go far enough down to right at the bottom of the letter, it actually gives some some help on how to pronounce it. But I wasn't going to tell you that until you got there. <laughs> oh, uh, Pierre or Path for short. So Path says, "Dear Simon, Johnny, and Perry, firstly, Happy New Year, and thank you for providing me with your weekly bursts of photography." and lens chat, which I always look forward to immensely. I wanted to send you a quick email regarding medium format lenses and the medium format in general, as it seems to be sporadically chatted about on your brilliant podcast in comparison to 35 millimeter rangefinder and SLR lenses and large format lenses, which has now its own podcast. Uh, as a relatively young film photographer in terms of years of practice rather than age, although I am in my early 30s, I recently- Still young. 
still young. I recently purchased a medium format camera in the Bronica uh, ETRSI, uh, and I've been completely blown away with the quality depth and so-called 3d pop which i have managed to attain from moving from 35 millimeter medium format to the point that uh my trusty nikon fm3a slash voigtlander 40 millimeter f.2 ultron combo has been rotting away in my bag for the past few months as i have become addicted to shooting medium format and more specifically to the 75 millimeter pe zenzanon lens which came with my camera i was wondering if uh, this was simply due to the personal preferences and workflows, or maybe due to the fact that classic lenses in 35 millimeter format are usually easier and more widely adapted to multiple mounts in cameras, which makes it easier for you to experiment with a range of lenses and make comparisons whilst medium for whilst <laughs> Simon, I heard that well in my head before I heard Simon saying it and he didn't even need to say it <laughs> whilst. Medium format tends to be quite system specific and maybe less reliant on the quality of its lenses for the quality of its results. Big breath. I have also noticed that there are a large number of young film photographers slash YouTubers who tend towards medium format as their medium of choice. And I may therefore have simply succumbed to the fashion trend taking over the world of analog photography by storm. Wink, wink to Mike Gutterman, Mike Malort Gutterman, <laughs> rather than anything else. Finally, and maybe a question for Perry specifically, I'm having serious strain of gas when it comes to the Zeiss Icon ZM and the 35mm oh, yeah. Zeiss Biagon 2.8. And just wanted to hear your thoughts regarding the F2 versus the F2.8 version of that lens and whether it was simply a question of portability or if the optical rendering of the 2.8 version made you particularly happy. Thank you again uh, for everything, and be like Carl. Kind regards. That name, Perry says. Pierre, or PAF for short. Uh, P.S. I left Facebook for a good two years ago, and therefore I'm not in the Facebook group. So my apologies if the answer to my questions is not on there already. I simply enjoy listening to your podcast without the social media aspect of my life. PPS colon. What on earth is wet on wet boca? <laughs> question mark, question mark, question mark, exclamation point. Okay. Wow. So, so Ooh, what things. an email. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let Medium me, let format? Me, yeah. Well, let me touch, touch upon the, the – I've, I've talked about this before with the, uh, the, the Bronica uh, 75 mil – uh, PE lenses, Zenzanon PE, and uh, and that, that's where we actually led to a conversation about um, sharpness of lenses and uh, how they sometimes correspond to the film size. And the smaller the film size or sensor, the tends to be the sharper the lens, which may or may not be true. But there's there's something in that, I think. But certainly that seventy five millimeter PE, I've I've adapted that to Sony, and I've every time I've used it. Uh, I'm not sure if I still have the lens anymore, but whenever I used it, I mean, it's, it's a it's a big chunky thing um, to put onto a Sony, but it's a, it's a great lens. It's it's mm -hmm. really yeah. really sharp. I've, I find that an absolutely excellent lens. I, I believe that the the, the Bronica lenses 
in general there are there are better versions of one lens and, a, and another and uh, and it, it, it's it can be quite specific when i actually bought a, a bronica outfit once it just so happened that each version of the lens of each version of the three lenses i had were viewed to be the best version of each and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have the pe i think the pe is the like the professional grade um, version yeah. but sometimes some of the older ones are you know absolutely just as good but sometimes the pe is the best but that 75 um on i think it's a it's a it's a terrifically sharp lens and of course you you do get that that benefit if you like as of many of the, the smaller formats digital users will attest to that they use in the center of the of the of the lens and therefore the sharpest and if sharpness is important to you if that's what drives you then using a, a, a sharp medium format lens uh, on full frame um, you're going to get sharpness all the way across this, all the way across the image so um, yeah. I can yeah it's good lens for using on digital certainly the the Bronicas are I think they fly under the radar because um, there's they're they're not ridiculous in price at the moment. Um, and I have, a, I have a couple, but the Bronica S2 that I use the most of the SLR style ones, the 75 millimeter Nikkor lens on that is one of the best lenses I've ever used. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah, so I, I think, you know, the whole medium format look that he's talking about, it's fantastic. Actually, while Johnny, you were uh, in the bathroom and we were taking our break earlier. <laughs> yeah. Um, what led Simon to bring up the Lomo LCA was uh, we were talking about how with medium format, at least for me, it, it takes a conscious effort to put it in my bag um, yeah. because they're so large. And also, you know, the shooting style with the kind of stuff I shoot, a 35 millimeter rangefinder works better because of the speed of, uh, of shooting and focusing. But at the same time, I think part of the appeal of folders is being able to have a medium format camera in a compact package that's just like one of many in the bag yeah, yeah right um so that's that's the main thing as far as the cameras go because i love shooting medium format uh and i think you know as, as far as adapting lenses goes i i don't i wouldn't say that they're less reliant on the quality of the lenses i i think it's what he says is correct that they tend to be a bit more system specific but i'm seeing more and more people here in hong kong uh adapting crazy old lenses to uh, like Hasselblad mounts um, or other medium format mounts like that. Um, and, I, and I myself have been, I, I really want to take some weird old lenses that I've got and uh, get them adapted on a helicoid and then stick them on my Pentax 6.7 to yeah. play with because it can be done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. can be done. Well, there are plenty of shots out there with an Aero Ektar on the on the Pentax six seven. If you're strong mm -hmm. enough, then mm -hmm. uh, it's great. <laughs> yeah, some great images out there. Yeah, um, I, I, I can I be the old school curmudgeon really quick, and I'm not going to do it wholeheartedly because I don't entirely agree with it. But, but there, there, the Bronica SLRs are interesting because there was a really there's kind of a. There's kind of a uh, prejudice against them because they they were so flaky in terms of working. <laughs> so mm -hmm. so you can still get them relatively cheap, and 
I think the ones that are out there now are the ones that have remained working. So it seems like if you get one now and it's working, then you probably got a really good one because all the ones that are dead, (laughs) nobody's trying to sell. Um, So it's, it's, they have an interesting popularity among younger shooters that I don't think older shooters share a, um, necessarily good feelings towards them, which I don't think is entirely justified. I think the, the, the problem is the Bronicas were competing with, you know, things like Hasselblads and they were seen as a, you know, a redheaded stepchild uh, compared to something like a Hasselblad. It's like the camera you couldn't afford. So you got a Bronica, but I, I think it's a little bit unfair because I think the lenses are really, really good. And I think the ones that are still working probably work really good for the most part. So, I think it's a great system if you can if you can find one. Um, yeah, I, I think the results from my Bronicas are any as good as anything yeah. you could get out of a Hasselblad. Right. Uh, right. I, but yeah, yeah, you're you're right though. I think a lot of you know most of the SLRs are electronic. Yeah. Um. So that's yeah. going to make you nervous, which is why I like the S two. Yeah. Uh, because it's fully mechanical. One thing to note though, um, of that model, there's two versions. There's the S two and the S two A. Mm-hmm. And the only real difference is supposedly one of the uh, film advance gears in the S2 is made out of a soft brass that wears out over time, which they replaced in the S2A to be more robust. Now, uh, there are enough reports out there of this that I think it's probably legit. But if you find a working S2, uh, like the one that I have, it's cheaper than an S2A. And honestly, you really got to work the heck out of it. If yeah. you're going to grind down a brass gear. <laughs> right. right? Like mine yeah. is still chugging away just fine. Yeah. yeah. Just just going going to his uh, – well, there are many points on this, but um, there was the he – was, he was saying about going to medium format and there, there are people that uh, – let's call them influencers – um, that are seem to be going to medium format. Medium format seems to be very in at the moment. Yes. And uh, and I'm just wondering, and this is a question really for, for Johnny, because you, you're at the pit face. You you actually meet <laughs> these people. I do. Um, so when, when young people come into the into your shop and they say, I want, I'm interested in getting the film camera, I mean, are they, is, is there a, a large amount? That, are they heading for medium format first or they just say, you know, I want the K1000 or whatever? I mean, is, is there a... Any kind of yeah. split? Yeah, no, you're you're so on the mark, Simon. There's definitely, the, yeah, yes, it is definitely a thing, and yes, it is definitely a split. So there are a lot of people who come in and say, "I want to get into film," and they're probably thinking either a point and shoot or like an AE one or a K one thousand because that's where all the buzz is. Uh, and then there are those people who come in and specifically want medium format as a starting point, and I, I'm like. You know what? I try to not be the old school camera store jerk that's like, why do you want to do that? You know, I try to be a grumpy old white man or whatever. Um, it's fun, but I try not to do it very often because it's kind of jerky. I mean, I try to like come at it from a point. All right. If somebody legitimately this is what they want to do, let's talk about what they want because they, you know, for whatever reason, that's what they want to do. Um but in the course of a conversation with someone, I might say, yeah, you know, you might want to, if you're just starting out and you've never shot film before, you might want to try this <laughs> without, you know, making them feel stupid or whatever. Um, but it is definitely a thing. There are people who have never shot film before and they really want to jump into medium format. And and I, I, you know, 
we already kind of talked about this a little bit. I think that's a really big ask. <laughs> I just do. Um, uh, it's not impossible, but the learning curve is just, it to me is really, really steep on film if you've never done it before. And to do it on medium format as a first go, it's asking a lot. <laughs> so, um, but it, it is definitely a thing. <laughs> it is definitely a thing. So given that those people exist, though, quick fire round for all three of us. Best medium format camera and lens for a beginner in terms of value for money and user friendliness. Uh, Okay, I will say, assuming it works, a Pentacon 6 with an 80mm biometal. I'm going to go Mamiya 645 with 82.8. I am going to go Yashica D or Yashica 645. I'm sorry, Yashica 635. There you go. Okay. Which are essentially the, they're they're essentially the same camera. They're they're really the same camera. So Yashica DTLR. So was was that was that going somewhere in particular, Barry? <laughs> like no, no, no. I just, thought, I just thought given given that this trend is brought up, I you know yeah. Makes- recommendations for our listeners especially the young ones yeah well we've done done three quite different cameras there as well which is yeah. quite cool isn't it no we have there you go. that was good that was good perry um move, moving on through the through this this email um it, we, there was a mention of uh, mr mike gutterman of the negative positives podcast and there's, yeah. there's there's been a bit of activity on that front hasn't there johnny there 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 has but do we want to let perry gush about the zeiss icon first yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it, Perry. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be quick. Uh, yes, your guess is justified. That camera is sweet. Um, Mike Epstein here has one with the 35-28 Biogon, and he absolutely adores it. Uh, viewfinder is great. It's, a, I mean, it's it's just one of the nicest Leica M bodies out there, so I highly recommend it. As for the lenses, uh, so two things. I, I think realistically... Unless you're seriously pixel peeping, most people probably won't see a difference or much of a difference between uh, the F2 and the F2.8. I think the F2.8 does have a slight edge in terms of rendering. T- to me, it's the best 35 millimeter lens ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the it's the best one that I've ever used, uh, especially if you like that sort of 3D pop that you're getting from medium format. Um, the F2, the big turnoff for me, as you mentioned, Pierre, is the size. It's just too big to make it truly portable, whereas the 2.8 Biogon, yeah, it's a stop slower, but it's pretty much the same size as like a Leica Sumicron, so it's very, very compact. Um, and unless you need the extra stop of light, that's the one I would go for, because there's no way that lens will disappoint you optically. It is outstanding. There we go. Yeah. Okay, so... Let's let's head over to negative positives land then, uh, Johnny. <laughs> well, so we have to tell the government story, don't we? We do. Okay, all right. Well, for those of for those who have not yet heard it, um, as you all know, our our uh, our sponsor, not sponsor of the Classic Lenses podcast, is of course Malort. Um, we have a very close, non-existent relationship with Malort. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we've talked, we talk about it fairly frequently on the show. It is of course, um, the made in Chicago liqueur, um, that 
you know, taste like some disgusting thing of your choice from a bad dream you once had. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, bless his heart. Uh, Mr. Bob matter. Um, I, I, I don't know if he was spamming the whole world with mini bottles of Malort, but he, he got one over to Mike Gutterman. Um, and we've, thre- we've threatened to have a Malort tasting session live on this podcast, which will happen at some point. Uh, but, you know, you get some booze to Gutterman and he's going to drink it. I think, I think, I think, I think Bob knew, figured that part out. So he, <laughs> he got some, he got some mini bottle of, uh, of Malort to, to Gutterman who, uh, did a Gutterman face cast where he drank his mini bottle of Malort, um, thinking it was going to be no big deal. Didn't you guys think that you guys saw it, right? Yeah. There, there was a typical Gutterman yeah. bravado on there. I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink this thing. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so Gutterman had a near death experience. He, he, <laughs> he, he drank that bottle and it, it destroyed him for a good three or four minutes. Uh, even with a, even with a Miller light chaser, uh, <laughs> His facial expression is gold if you haven't seen it. Yeah, it, it is uh, hashtag Malort face cast. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was great. And I want to thank um, Bob and Gutterman for doing this because now I know that you two are even more afraid <laughs> of when this is actually going to happen on this podcast. Well, surely, Johnny, given that neither you nor I uh, – drink alcohol currently simon should do the charitable thing and <laughs> drink all three and drink all no simon and, simon and per, so pair i believe pair is lined up to join us when this happens right and <laughs> yes. they, he, per, so we're gonna have an actual swede on the program to drink swedish liqueur fine swedish liqueur uh with us and he's and and pair being pair he's gonna he's gonna tell us probably something very philosophical and deep about Malort or about the history of Swedish liqueur or something along those lines. Um, so, uh, so, so what you're saying is, that, are you are you suggesting that you're not going to drink um, this this bottle of uh, of, of oh of, no of hell Malort. no I'm going to it's eight o'clock in your morning no uh, no I'm I'm, I'm going to drink it and so is Perry. All right, I'll make an exception. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've tried surstreaming, so this is not going to be as bad. Well, that 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 was the thing in the in the comments, um, and this is all in the negative positives uh, Facebook group. Um, it was uh, it was suggested by uh, Sven Olaf Hummerset, um, uh, who's from Norway. Uh, it was suggested that perhaps he should he should try some surströmming, and um, yeah. to which which Mike had clearly had no <laughs> knowledge of this, and uh, and uh, he seemed to be quite up for it until until some people actually told him what this stuff was. So, um, which 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 I thought was pretty poor form because I did suggest to him that he he just open this sort of strumming in his in in the gutter man cave <laughs> and uh, probably close close the windows just in case. Um, but uh, but no, he's he's not up for it anymore, unfortunately. Uh, I got to dig up that video of the French bulldog. Oh, I don't, oh I, yeah, I've, I've put it I put it into that chat. Oh, fantastic! Oh, excellent. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. If, and that's it's it's got to be worth uh, worth mentioning. If anybody wants to know, and and all you need to know about surströmming is, if I've just pronounced it correctly, is uh, just type type that word in and uh, and put the word dog in there as well, perhaps, and mm-hmm. uh, you'll see one of the best YouTube videos ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
Well, anyway, uh, yeah. So, so the Malort, the Malort session, uh, tasting session will happen this year on this podcast. I just have to, it requires me, uh, breaking the law to send Malort <laughs> internationally to three continents or to uh, two continents and a tiny island that thinks it no longer needs to be part of a continent. Um, so I'm going to do that at some point soon and we will have a conversation and a, I've, I'm thinking it's going to obviously be a video tasting session. Uh, uh yeah, it's gonna be. It's gonna be. It's got to be video, guys. Yeah, we, we might. Got this, it. This, this sounds like it might be a YouTube special. Oh yeah, it's for sure gonna be a YouTube special. Yeah. So, so that that will happen at some point this year when I uh, mail off, when I break the law, and mail off Malort mm-hmm. around the world. So it will happen. Um, we should do that pretty soon. We should do that sooner rather than later. So mm-hmm. I, we have to get, I have to get everybody's addresses. We'll do that offline and I'll get those little bottles of evil in the mail. Out yeah. to you guys. I'll, yeah. I'll, I might tell you my, my address one day, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, just, just finishing off with, uh, paths, uh, email. Um, he had the, he had the question there. What on earth is wet on wet boker? Nothing. Um, Doesn't and- exist. And it, it does exist. It's a real thing. And uh, <laughs> I think you need to go back into the somewhere in the 60s, um, late 50s, early 60s, I think, uh, where we, we talk about um, a, a magnificent lens, um, which I've got. Actually, I've got it handy. Just bear with me. All right, here we go. It is the Raynox. 135 millimeter f 2.8 and it's a superb lens uh, with unique bokeh um, which makes it look like i don't know remoir painted it it's got remoir bokeh which is the uh, the, the oh, wet on wet. oh my god <laughs> <laughs> Epi- episode 53 just go listen to that <laughs> but yeah it carries on from there it's never really gone away um no i I don't have the energy to rant about this again. <laughs> yeah, you're a bit of a naysayer on this subject. Well, um, I'm, I'm, actually, we did talk about doing this, and we've not actually um, gone into any more detail. But we've decided um, that this this wonderful wet-on-wet lens, this unique lens uh, by Raynox, this 135 millimeter lens, which this particular one is in m42 mount so no excuses everybody can use it more or less um and we're going to give it away uh this is going to be a lens giveaway um but as ever we haven't got a clue how to actually give a lens away um what i can say is we're not going to do a photo competition and uh, you'll be even happier to hear we're not going to do another poetry competition either. Um, but we no, I, I, I've got, I have the solution to this. Oh, right, it, it's it's not going to be a usual solution. Just send a name. No, and we pull a, pull a number. No bullshit. No, 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 no. This is going to hurt. Okay, somebody is going to pay. Somebody's going to pay for this wet on wet thing. So here's what's going to happen. <laughs> Somebody's going to volunteer. To drink a Malort shot. Yes. <laughs> yes. Somebody needs to join us and drink a Malort shot, or people need to do a Malort shot and send us their video. Well, I don't know. We're going to figure it out, but somewhere or another, oh, it's yeah. going to avoid, it's going to involve somebody <laughs> getting that horrible shit in their mouth. That's it. 
You, if you want this stupid lens, you're gonna pay for it. Oh, this is this is joy. This is this, this is great. And and this this one of the other things. Yeah, we have this YouTube channel, and uh, it was used to great effect uh, for for Mike Epstein um uh, dancing across like rick from the young ones so there we go we find, finally worked out who it was it was rick rick from the young young ones and um and that up until last week it was our most watched um video uh, by quite some margin because hardly anybody actually listens to our podcast on on youtube which is pretty understandable um but uh yeah we'd like to i'd like to make use of that um so and, and i think there's probably no nobler reason for using it is for having yeah. people drink him a lot um, yes. so yes. yeah we'll we'll probably think about this a little bit more and give you some more details next week um because there yeah. needs to be some kind of time scale but i, I suspect you know it might take people quite a while to to get hold of this stuff it might i'm not sure if you can even get it in other countries other than the u.s uh, right yeah it may well be banned everywhere yeah uh, so it's possible on that I went to a specialty liquor store over the Christmas uh, holidays, and I actually it was a place that sold like really premium whiskeys. <laughs> yeah, and I walked in and I was just because it was it was near my uh, camera repair guy's shop, and I just walked in and I asked the shopkeeper, "Hey, do you guys happen to have Jepson's Malort?" And she looked at me with a face it was just like, "What." <laughs> what what is that? I was like, never mind, never mind. <laughs> and I left. <laughs> uh, that's great. All right. Well, well, I, I sorry. Go. On. I was gonna say, Simon, it's your call. We've got one, two, three, four emails left. I think. I I think we'll we'll park the emails now. Okay. Um, yeah. So we've got some we've got some more good emails to do, and yeah, we we should park them for now. Which is getting, you know, we we keep on saying about you know. Let's try and actually not make a really long podcast and fail every time we say it. So yeah. um, this this is almost now like like a cue to now spend the next half an hour saying goodbye, which is what we've done on the on a few occasions. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, let's 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 not that on the head. Um, okay, for, for, very for, good for this week. So thank you for those emails that have, we've read out, and there are more emails to come. Uh, just uh, I think the last the next email would was written on the. Ooh, 3rd of January and it was by Hannah so Hannah and everybody that's uh, written to us after the 3rd of January we will get to you so yeah uh, yeah so, we will so there we go um okay then so Perry are there any other things you need to get off your chest nope not really Johnny uh no I don't think so Okay. All right. Well, let's. Uh, this we are actually going to close the show pretty quickly then. Um, so, Perry, any shout outs? Uh, one shout out to my buddy Anthony, uh, who has dragged me out a couple of times in the last few weeks to accompany him camera shopping because he has recently gotten back into film. And uh, always accuses me of giving him gas, but I tell him he already has gas, and he just comes to me for validation uh, and recommendations. <laughs> so I'm the enabler of gas, and and he seems to be enjoying his new uh, Rolleiflex very much. Excellent, excellent. And Johnny, on the show. Yeah, a couple of quick ones. I definitely want to give a shout out to Robbie J for. Um, experimenting with me with the uh the tokarev the ft2 uh thanks very much robbie for uh 
for being a willing a willing participant in the experimentation with that camera. Um, and I just want to give a shout out to uh, uh, Graham at Sunny Sixteen for letting me join him yesterday to do backing papers. A lot of fun. He is one of my favorite favorite people, uh, favorite agent of chaos in the podcast world. A true man of my own heart. So uh, thanks, Graham, for having me on. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I also want to thank you and Graham for, for going on, for doing that. Because, uh, <laughs> it was going to be me otherwise. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah, so that, there you go. That's, that's my, my shout-outs to Johnny for doing the for doing <laughs> paper instead of me. Uh, and uh, also for uh, – I'm going to shout-out to the Six Towns Darkroom in Stoke-on-Trent, um, in Tunstall in Stoke-on-Trent. We meet every Tuesday night and uh, come along. Um, simple as that just get in touch with me on Twitter or the other place you can get hold of me and on that subject uh, Perry how can people get hold of you or follow the things that you do uh, you can find me on Instagram or Flickr at Perry G or visit my never updated website PerryG.com okay. <laughs> and Johnny uh, I'm not even going to talk about Instagram just come come to see me at Central Camera Company <laughs> yeah yeah, but you can't. You can't follow if you're not following him already. You can't follow Johnny on Instagram. No, not not right now. I, I'm gonna get back into Instagram at some point this year. You you have you have now. ruined my Instagram life, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> because now I cannot post things unless they're in a group of three. I know. Tell me yeah. about. I I can't. I know. I believe me. It's. I know what you mean. I still manage to get you know prolific enough to post stuff every day. Um, but it it's so much more thought into grouping them together. And You're so right. on the one hand, it's satisfying, but on the other hand, it's also like, damn it, I have these two pictures I want to post, and I've got to find some third random picture that kind of fits with them. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's your fault. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Glad to help. <laughs> <laughs> so how about if people want to get in touch with the show and stuff like that? Uh, please... Send us an email uh, at classiclensespodcast at gmail.com unless it's a really long email and then send it to uh, Sunny16 instead. No, I'm just kidding. Send it to classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. And then, of course, you can follow the podcast website and browse all of our 100 episodes at classiclensespodcast.com. Um, and you can also find us on YouTube uh at just look for classic lenses podcast on youtube and you'll find all of the youtube content there um and while you're over on instagram look for best vintage lens and you can see lots and lots of photos made with vintage lenses posted every day in case the three of us aren't posting over there check that out and uh, look for best vintage lens on Instagram and be sure of course to read the weekly recap or sort of weekly recap of the episodes here uh, done by our good buddy over at best vintage lens. Um, what's his name? Ricardo. Yeah. Ricardo, that guy, <laughs> uh, check out Ricardo's uh, sort of weekly recap of our latest episode, which is better than the episode itself, of course. And we've got to make sure we go out today and uh, and thank our imaginary sponsor, uh, Malort, for all the wonderful work they do to <laughs> to to bring joy to the lives of the film photography podcasting community. 
Um, speaking of community, Johnny, Simon, by the way, you should, you should ask me to do this last because whenever you guys are talking, I, I remember more things. <laughs> I, I have two very, very quick things that I want to point out about community. Number one, have you guys noticed that in our Facebook group, after we talked about, after we did our end of year awards and gave it to the sort of year of the panel, uh, that a whole bunch of people have been posting random panels with all kinds oh, yeah. of crazy cameras. Yeah. That's super cool. It and is. I, we, yeah. So we don't need to do the weird Sunny 16 thing and cancel the year of the panel. I think I think that can continue. But yeah. I mean, there's been everything from like 75. I think Lawrence Dunn used a 75 Biotar um, on a digital camera and did panels with that. There's been an yeah. Ondu. Ah, yeah. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just, just re, re, go, go back a bit about what Lawrence was doing because he wasn't just not just using a, a 75 mil 1.5 yeah, Biotar. Anamorphic on it, right? Precisely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's that yeah that's crazy and then yeah. he de-squished it in photoshop somewhere yeah. uh yeah well we don't have time to talk about anamorphic lenses <laughs> no that's yeah. we're gonna go there <laughs> yeah but no shout so shout outs to all of those uh everyone who has posted their own panos they're just there's some really neat stuff in there Definitely, uh, and it's, yeah. it's and it's worth just noting. Yeah, we've we have a dedicated group to the podcast, which is uh, large format. No, no, it's not. <laughs> I was, I was other podcast, yeah. Simon. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I always when on that podcast, I usually say the wrong one as well. But I've just happened to have that page open for some reason. Um, but uh, yeah, so we got we've got our own, which is the Classic Lenses podcast, which is very very specific stuff to to the podcast, and then there is the Behemoth of a Facebook group, uh, which is the uh, photography with classic lenses, the, uh, the group where uh, we all got together. Um, and, and this, this podcast is a result. Um, so those are two great places to, to learn about and post your pictures um, to do with any old classic lenses, whether they'll be on digital or film. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's particularly fitting that after the year of the pano, uh, all three of us now seem to have our pano, uh, spirit animals simon with your horizon johnny yeah. with his joker f thing and of course the x-pan yeah uh and on, on that note the last thing i want to mention quickly is you know a couple of episodes ago we well i i accidentally dissed uh matt osborne because because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. simon you sold him a lens and and i confused him with that eastern european like a review guy yeah, you did. You uh, did. Rode, you rode back on that on the episode, by the way. So that that was okay. Yeah, yeah no, no. So I, I want to give him a shout out because he has been messaging. He started listening to our podcast, uh, Matt Osborne, Mister Leica, um, and he has been messaging me nonstop uh, since then. And we have discussed, <laughs> among other things, uh, among many things. Number one, why he should change his brand uh, <laughs> to just his name, and number two. He's just got, I think, a Leica 3G or a 3A or both. Um, and so he's just discovered that there's this whole new world of LTM lenses that he can be using. Uh, so he has done a very sensible thing for his wallet and has been asking me for recommendations. <laughs> um, so he's been like buying LTM lenses nonstop. And it's fun because I can just, you know, recommend him all the things that I want and don't have. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So shout out to Matt Osborne. That's it. That's all gone. And Johnny, I'm not sure if we if we cut you off in your prime there or whether you got to the end of that or not. Oh, sorry. Oh no. I, what was I saying? I don't think I. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. in in that case, it's it's, it's uh, just me. Um, covered on most things, so you can 
Follow me outside of this podcast on Twitter as Simon4. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. Um, and that's pretty much it, really. There's my uh, eBay page. Um, actually, that's a point I was just going to mention. I've started to make with my 3D printer uh, exact lens caps, and I've, I've put them onto my eBay page today. Ooh. Um, Ooh. So, and they work. <laughs> yeah, that's they, awesome. Yeah, they don't. They don't. They don't look uh, as good as a an injected molded uh, one, because you can tell it's 3D printed, but they work perfectly. Um, that's awesome. Um, did did you put like like? Do you, are you branding them? Does it does it say like? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, the, the 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 first the first batch of them are are, are plain. Um, I've just started to put the word Exa uh, into them. Um, although I could put Classic Lenses podcast in there as well. Couldn't yes, you I? could. Yes, yeah, so yeah. that's where you were going there, weren't you? Um, <laughs> yeah, could could do that. Could do that. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's the. That, that, was, that was where I was going with this. I couldn't quite remember where it was going. And they would just say that the, the show notes, apart from being in the Facebook group, if you're not on Facebook like many people, uh, we do have that, um, our own page on, on the internet, uh, classiclensespodcast.com, and you can get all the um, show notes there. And it also, also has a link to my eBay page if you do want to head over there and buy an Exacta cap. And what I will also say, if anybody buys anything um, any listeners buy anything on my site um, there's a a note uh, ability to send a note to somebody if you if you just say something on the lines of uh, anything about the classic lenses podcast in in that note i will send you a tonics caramel bar um assuming of course uh, <laughs> it, it fits into an envelope of, of the correct size and postage value um but if i if there's space in there then i'll i will send you a tonics caramel bar as well so just just put a note in there saying anything you like about uh, the classic lenses podcast so um that's it yeah so, send me send me a note and i'll send you some alert yes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actually, yeah. Send my malort. That'll be fine. Yeah, that'll be good. Um, so that's that's it. Um, that's this week's show, uh, episode 101. Um, I hope you enjoyed it, and if you can, be like Carl. <laughs>